tourism has come back to Jim Thorpe, it's the most substantial part of its revenue that's coming into town, and we're part of it. And when you come to Jim Thorpe, there's a lot of great places to eat. There's the geography of Jim Thorpe with the whitewater rafting, the hiking, and the bicycling, but there's only one museum like this. As if Jim Thorpe didn't already have so much to see and do, the Stephen Museum is yet another must-visit. Hi folks, I'm Jim Hale with Pocono Mountains Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 25. Well, lucky for Jim Thorpe, Victor Staben found a former factory on West Broadway and turned it into his eclectic space for his art, his studio, and he's done everything from an album cover for the band Kiss back in 1980 and an ABC book based on obscure words in the dictionary. You can see it all at the museum, plus pair it nicely with some food and drink at Cafe Ariel and Vic's Jazz Loft. More on that in a bit. The Poconos is a year-round destination for millions, with 2,400 square miles of rivers, mountains, forests, and lakes with historic downtowns and iconic family resorts. It's the perfect getaway. You can always find out more on PoconoMountains.com or watch PTN, the Pocono Television Network, streaming live 24-7. Now back to the episode. The Staben Museum is expansive, with rooms full of Staben's work, as well as a jazz loft, and the Staben Museum even has its own Neighborhood Electric Vehicle, or NEV, which transports visitors from downtown Jim Thorpe right to the museum. Here's a longer discussion with Victor Staben for the upcoming November Pocono Mountains magazine. Enjoy! Hey everyone, Jim Hamill here with Pocono Mountains Podcast in downtown Jim Thorpe, and we are sitting in a beautiful art gallery, an amazing um, historic building, all the way up Broad Broadway. Here we're again, we're on West Broadway. We're on West Broadway. So far up Broadway, <laughs> they called it West Broadway. West Broadway. Yeah. So far up with the Victor Staben. This is a museum, a restaurant. There's a jazz space here, and you guys have an electric cart that brings you through town. What don't you guys? A have? neighborhood electric vehicle. Neighborhood electric. Vehicle. What boat we have? Yeah. Well, until <laughs> this moment, we didn't have you interviewing me. And very astute. <laughs> I'm just so thrilled about that. And by the way, you sound like a sportscaster. Every once in a while, I can pull that out, Victor. I really can. It's like something that uh, I honed over the years. Okay. In the I think we should put on as many airs as possible. I like it. Let's get to it. <laughs> so so I, I'm just, uh, as I mentioned previously, I'm a big fan of your work. You do great stuff here. Um, and and you, you are an artist, you know, by craft, but obviously by your personality. Tell me about what it is that you love to do in the creation of all the things under this roof here okay so that's a tremendously broad it is and question that could be answered in many many different ways but uh i started out as an illustrator i switched gears and became a painter it's not a huge you know it's not like i went from rescuing people in fires to uh, doing something completely different. My metaphors are failing me at this trading moment. stock, but yeah, yeah, yeah. trading stock. So anyway, I started out as an illustrator, which involved painting every day. And now I'm a painter, which involves painting every day. The difference is, as an illustrator, you're kind of like a fireman in that bell rings, somebody has a job, you go put out the fire for them. As a painter, you have to wake up every day, and you answer. You're answering your own questions your own you're coming up with your own solutions you have your own themes that you want to work on 
I came to Jim Thorpe when I switched gears between the two careers because New York is a place, okay, I lived in New York for 48 years. I've lived here for 20 years. And one of the things, the reality of New York City is overhead. And when I came to Jim Thorpe, I was renting a space in this building that was about 1,600 square feet that was prohibitive in New York City. And so while I was here, the building came up for sale. The building's 16,000 square feet. And you asked me, what do I do as an artist? One of the things I do as an artist is I work on this building. And it's really easy to spend money when you're fixing up a building. This building was dilapidated. It was a money pit. And one of the things that we wound up doing here was the first thing I put into the building was a wood shop. My wife said to me, what are you, a woodworker now? And I said, the whole building's coming out of this room. And as we walk around the building, you'll see custom bar stools. You'll see a box over a waterway that uh, is just very often compared to falling water. Mm -hmm. Not confused with falling water, but compared to falling water. When we go into the jazz space, you'll see a door that's about 12 feet high we made it here, yeah. right? And so I learned from the, the brilliant of Craftsman that I've met in Jim Thorpe, which is an, another thing that's happened to me since I've been here. I've met people who can make things and we came from completely different backgrounds, but the thing that I really connected with, with a lot of the local talent was, I like to make things, they like to make things. So I'm not talking about my artwork right now. I'm talking about this building. Mm -hmm. I work on the building during the day. I'm like the head of construction on the last <laughs> board because I'm paying for everything. I make certain things, but I work with a lot of talented people. And every night I work in my studio for at least seven or eight hours. And I have a very long day. And uh, every day I walk into the studio that I have now, which I can't wait to show you. Yeah. I pinched myself because when I lived in Manhattan, I lived in a 420 square foot apartment that I worked in and I lived in. And even though it was small, it wasn't that unusual. A lot of people live like that. And so now we have this 16,000 square foot edifice, which is from the 1860s. The building was originally a wireworks factory. They made steel cabling for the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. So there's a lot of history here. It didn't start off with electricity. It started off with the waterway underneath the building. We celebrate the waterway by eating over it. You'll yeah. see the glass box. We never really came up with a name for the glass box. It's just like the, the glass, glass box. Yeah. And that was designed by me, made by these guys down the block. And when you sit at the glass box, you sit on these stools that, again, I'm talking about the stools too much. Um, so... That's a little bit of an answer. The other part of the answer would go along with looking at the stuff that I've made. And what I've made is started out doing my own paintings, but I had kids when I was, I started out thematically working on a, a series of paintings that are called Turtle Series. While I was in the middle of it, or in the beginning of the middle of it, or near the beginning of it, my kids were being born, I was reading them a lot of ABC books. I made an ABC book that was inspired by the dictionary, 
so A wasn't for apple, A was for apperceptive agitina. And I know all of a sudden I'm speaking Greek and people are going, what did he say? But there's 73 words in the ABC book that you've never heard before. People from Allentown came here to go to the restaurant. They saw the museum part of the place. The people happened to be running the Allentown Art Museum. They gave me a one-man show dedicated to the book, which turned the book into a teaching curriculum because they sent me out as a itinerant artist all over the region. Okay. And every place I went, I had to come up with a, they said to me, give them an art lesson. First class I had was 26 kids. I said, we're gonna make an ABC book. I had kids reading the dictionary to come up with visual ideas that led to a mastery of visual, con con conceptualizing visually. And kids were doing things they could never do before. And this again is something that's difficult to talk about, but very easy to see. So I went from painting to making this ABC book, mm -hmm. back to painting this building. And then so many people came in here and saw the characters in the ABC book that they said one of the stories. So I said, I'm not a writer, but enough people throw peanuts at you. You become an elephant, right? Yeah. So I started to write stories that were just as long as Aesop fables that are very short. Mm -hmm. And I turned the stories into animations. And my last animation got into 14 film festivals and won four gold awards. Even though I have five fingers up, it's only because I'm hopeful. So there's a lot going on, I and that's a pretty long answer for my first question. Well, it, it, I, I know how you kind of went from, yes, the, the artist and the, and the changeover from the New York space to here, the illustration, to what you do now in painting, but also you're an educator. You're uh, somebody who kind of takes something like this and transforms it or, or utilizes it. And you're, you're finding ways to create things that are utilitarian, like the stools. And I don't think you went on too long about the stools. Okay. I think those are like really helpful things for people to understand. If they have never been here before, they're going to be wowed and mesmerized by all the stuff you have in here. Because behind this door is that thing, that jazz hidden enclave back there with even more layers to it. So you're, you're a man of many layers. A lot of layers. I'm glad that you sort of... Uh picked up the school situation because I don't do it every day. But yesterday I was teaching in St. Jerome's in Tamaqua mm -hmm. and I was having a great time. And I, uh, I don't know where that will particularly lead to, but it's the first time I was teaching in a Catholic school. And the Catholic school has a network that I'd love to plug into. And so funny thing about teaching is I don't plan it out. People ask me. So it's this itinerant thing that happens in a very ad hoc way. And last week, somebody came here from Brooklyn and they asked me to teach in Crown Heights. So I might be going to Brooklyn in the spring. And did you know that I'm a rock star? What? In Ohio. Okay. A gal called me up from Ohio a couple of months ago and she said, I'm an art teacher who became a district manager. I'm in charge of four schools. I've been using your curriculum. I now have 600 kids reading the dictionary to come up with ideas for drawings, and we're making 27 daddle doodle books 
would you come to Ohio for a couple of days and meet everybody? We want you to do a Q&A yeah. in every class. So I got to do 18 Q&As with 600 fifth graders in uh, two days. And I, and I walk into one of the schools and I have to go from point A to point B. Point B is a conference room with some teachers that just want to be nice to me, have lunch, say hello. But I have to go through the kids' cafeteria. All of a sudden, this like this one kid says, "It's Mr. Staven," and within ten seconds, everybody's screaming, "Mr. Staven!" Mr. As three hundred fifth graders screaming, "Mr. Staven!" I felt like I was Taylor Swift walking out on stage, <laughs> and the emotion was insane. I just started crying. It's oh. like, ah, oh, I must be doing the right thing. I go into one of the classes, and the kids, one of the this young girl says to me. What's the highlight of your career? And I go, were you in the cafeteria 15 minutes ago? I never get any better than that. So, yeah. yes, I am an educator. By the, the best thing about being a teacher for me is I don't do it professionally. And every time I do it, it's a super treat. So it's not a grind. It's just a complete experience that's happy from one end to the other. So speaking of experiences... A lot of people visit Jim Thorpe. This is a hotbed of activity for, yeah. you know, Philly, New York, other people, international. Delaware. Delaware. Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, you've D seen them. They write yeah. your guest book, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So what is it? What is Bolivia. The... Somebody Bolivia. came here from Bolivia. Ah, what a commute. Yeah. That's a, anyway. That's an, yeah. that's an overnight one for sure. Yeah. What, what do you think the experience is for people when they, they venture here? to Jim Thorpe and they obviously know the trains here, the fall foliage, the Lehigh Gorge, scenic railway, all those things. Well, thank you for helping me fix my biggest problem. I want people to come to Jim Thorpe because they want to come to the Stavey Museum. Yeah. But the reality is right now, people are coming to Jim Thorpe and they're finding us. They say, very often, this is the gem of the town. I wish I wasn't the person saying that on camera. Understood. Because that's the time you're saying, you want somebody else to tell you how great you are. But nevertheless, uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, this gal comes in and she's all pissed off. Some people are born angry. I'm like one of those people half the time. But some people are born angry. She comes in and she said, you know, I was really pissed off about this being called the Staben Museum. And I said, what? Well, excuse me? And she goes, well, who's got the audacity? to call themselves a museum. Parenthetically, I went to the Daly Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida, and after I left, I said, I got the building, I got the artwork, I'm calling it the Staven Museum, <laughs> in the spirit of Salvador Daly, who is one of the, one of my favorites, yeah. and one of the greatest of the 20th century. And uh, so this woman looks around, she goes, you can legitimately call yourself a museum. This is like going to a museum. And so I don't remember what the question was, but I think I answered it. Yeah, the, the experience is... Oh, the, oh what's, the, what's, people, what's people's reaction? Right, on top of all the history that's here, you have all your works, you have all this. This is like the, the found treasure like in the chest, right? Like, Well, so people's reaction to the place is they come back and they bring friends, right? And Or they get me to go where they are as far as the schools go. And it's always, okay, there's this one gal who came in and she was looking around at the artwork and 
I was sitting there on the couch. She didn't know I was the guy who did the artwork. And she says to a friend, can you believe how boring this artwork is? And I, I started to laugh. And the other side of the coin is people come in at least three times a day and they tell me I'm a genius, which is kind of a little funky to hear, you know, because quite honestly, no matter how overwhelming the work looks, I work really hard and I'm very dedicated. And I think if the word genius is used, you can look up the word genius. And it's like part of the definition of the word genius is the result of very hard work. And I'm a very hard worker. So that, okay. That's, there was a gal across yeah. the street. Her name was Mary Golis and she owned the building that I actually now live in. She passed away about, uh, 15 years ago and she was watching me working. And she said to me, you are the hardest working man in Jim Thorpe. I take, I, I, I can work with that. I take that. And, that. and that's, that's definitely a testament to like all the different various things here, like cafe Ariel, right? Like that, that is something that would take somebody all of their time and energy to do Well, my what, wife's involved. Your wife's involved. Wife, so wife's the partnership, involved. Too, yeah, right? It is a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have a restaurant. She wanted to have a restaurant. Okay. I, she supports me. The reciprocation is just okay. natural. Right. So, but it's, it's, I think that this is the worthwhile thing for people because not only do they get, you know, your genius, they get obviously too that partnership that develops into something that you know, feeds the soul, feeds the body, feeds the mind, feeds it all. You know, that that's kind of like what I'm getting from what you guys had. Well, also a part of like everything we're talking about now is when you come in here, everything you're going to look at is going to be different than anything you've seen somewhere else. And that might sound like a big statement, but my challenge is to come here and tell me different, right? Most I could get back to things being customized. Everything, as far as the architecture or the additional, the addition to the already existing architecture, we we made here and designed here. And some things don't get designed by me, but most things do. And the funny thing about owning a factory building is, factory buildings are made not for the long run. They're made so company can come in. Maybe they could get a 20-year usage out of it. This has been about five factories in the last 130, 40, 50 years. And everybody who came in said, well, yeah, we could get away with this. This will last 10 years. So we've been ripping crap out and putting stuff in. And everything I put in, I don't want to, I want this to be a place. I have two children. One is a brilliant jazz improvis improvisationalist, just piano player. So it was natural for us to, I listened to jazz. She started listening to jazz. She plays jazz. So it was natural for us to have a performance space. And my other child, she's a visual artist and she's 19 years old. Her name is Arielle. And her work eclipses the work that I did at her age. I look at her and I go, when they write about you, there's going to be a footnote that says, <laughs> And this guy, Victor Staben, was her father. And we heard that he painted as well. And my mom was a piano teacher. And my daughter, who is Schuyler Staben, she's a pianist. And so this building is being built to last hundreds. What we do, I want everything to last hundreds of years, right? Past their lifetime. 
And that was a chime in from Alexa. Alexa just heard, yeah. heard something. Listening to us. Double down on your. Listening to us. Yeah. yeah. She's like, I think we got a compliment from that was that was yeah. that was in her own little way, right? Um, so yeah, that is the the performance space. So you do yeah. have like from time to time, even tonight, as we're talking right now, yeah. seven o'clock performance schedule. Come on down, and people come on down. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about this, but that that is something that you know can expect. You know, there's a schedule of events they can find it out online, and then they'll be amazed just behind that bookcase. There's more that meets the eye. You know? We had so that performance space used to be my studio space. We opened it up. We didn't have all the chairs and tables in there, but we had a piano in there. And we have chairs and tables in the restaurant. So Skylar had a concert and 80 people showed up. And we just moved all the tables and chairs from the restaurant into the performance space. And we just, I just thought, wow, people are thirsty for jazz. Yeah. And you're good. This is Chef John. Come here, Chef John. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> Say hi. So how are you, man? Chef is, uh, nice to meet you, Chef. Zane. So we've had the restaurant working for over 15 years. This gentleman is the best ambassador we've had as far as food, conversation, hospitality. Nice. And he's made the best meals I've ever had in my life. And uh, he's very immodest about it. He knows that he can do it. like you know uh hand in glove kind of thing yeah good like we he has the visual arts which is prolific Mm -hmm. and um just like totally exciting and everything but um i do the culinary arts Mm -hmm. that's my thing well when he came here he said we have three peacocks we have the performance space we have your artwork and now you have me Right? Let's get out of here. That's good stuff. <laughs> They're refurbishing a building downtown that used to be called the Y. It wasn't originally a Y. And the guys who are doing it doing this amazing job. And they're really steep in pictorially putting up the history of Jim Thorpe. And I think what people fall short about is we're here now making history. And 30 years from now, they're going to look back at this building and go, this is a historical event. I am well aware that I'm making history here right now. And that might sound self-aggrandizing. It might just be an uncomfortable concept for people to grab onto. But we're always making history. And this is the current history of Jim Thorpe, which was founded because of energy and tourism I was talking to the guy who was working on the Y. He has 19 units in it. He said, did you know there were 1,500 units that people could rent hotel-wise in the heyday of Jim Thorpe? So tourism has come back to Jim Thorpe. It's the most substantial part of its revenue that's coming into town, and we're part of it. And when you come to Jim Thorpe, there's a lot of great places to eat. There's the geography of Jim Thorpe with the white water rafting, the hiking and the bicycling, but there's only one museum like this. And so I feel part of the history, the longer I stay here, the better it's gonna get. It's as good as it gets now, but it's getting better. Except for my knees. <laughs> from the podcast, yeah. well, let me tell you about the stools. Yeah. Cause it's only the third time I'm mentioning them. I went, Okay, so we had wooden stools. You always have to 
mend them because people rock back and forth and they fall apart. So I started looking for metal stools. The cheapest thing I found that I thought was interesting looking was $400, but it wasn't worth $400 to me. So I met all these fantastic craftspeople. And one of the craftspeople I met, well, I, I guess you would call them, well, he was a welder, but he was brilliant. He was an inventor. Uh, I designed a very, very simple stool made from pipe that was in the building. He welded the pipe together. I got these wooden tablets because I found out about where you could buy wood in the area that was exotic. So it came off these planks that were like 16 inches wide, four inches thick, and 16 feet long. And we made the tops of the stools out of them. And then uh, I have a friend who has furniture that's in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. His name is George Rinelli, and he's an architect. So George was my neighbor in New York. And I said, George, what do you think of my stool? And I said to him, like, one of the things about the stool is if you get into a bar fight, it's so heavy mm -hmm. that you win because you'll just kill somebody if you hit somebody with it. <laughs> George does not give compliments away because if George didn't make it, it's not as beautiful as it could be. But George did tell me that it's good to be sitting on a lethal weapon. It's, no, he said it's good to have a lethal weapon under your ass. I love it. And that's the story of the bar stool. Let's talk real quick about the NEV, right? So, okay, th that's something. Well, I've talked about the NEV, yeah. but to me, the NEV is the lowest priority item in my life. I get and it. it. I get it. And it's <laughs> and it is better, Victor. Selling better. A feature of this place at times. <laughs> People love hopping on this golf cart because, out of context, I mean, if you see a golf cart on a golf cart, mm -hmm. golf horse no big deal but if you see a golf cart coming through town mm -hmm. it's an event and so because of the nature of where we are and the parking situation in town going down and scooping up people on the nev has become a thing and it's paying for itself and in fact it's the one thing that I refuse to do, okay? And the reason why I refuse to do it is because I just feel like if I'm going to be selling myself as an artist who makes exotic products and sells them at high prices, I cannot be a golf cart driver. And I know it makes me sound snooty, but everybody else is doing it. And my wife says, my wife has been doing it. And at first she was like, what am I doing? Then she really enjoyed doing it. And people are coming up to her saying, where can I get this job, right? So the NEV is the thing, and we're the only museum that has one probably in the world. Yeah. And if you're out there and you own a museum and I've just offended you because you have an NEV, <laughs> call me up. <laughs> but that, that's another component, another piece of the puzzle here that really makes, I think, this just an attractive pin on the map, but but obviously more than just a pin, right? So so when people want to come visit this place, they can even meet you because you're you're so approachable. You're so here. I am. You know? Yeah. So so I think that that's another part of the the you know unique find that people would I, I have a photo okay, so sadly, my best friend died a couple of weeks ago. And uh his name was Charlie. He had the 
best smile in the world. He had the most, you could come in and look around. Please, look, yeah. You're the back row. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so. Thank you. Charlie leaving, Charlie passing was a watermark. But things happen. And okay, Charlie leaving was a watermark. A couple of days after he passed, there was a 130 pound poodle in, in the restaurant. And everybody loved this poodle. And the poodle had a great personality. And I looked at the poodle and I said, Charlie's been reincarnated, right? And uh, I even told his daughter and his wife, I said, Charlie's okay, right? And I took a picture of myself with the poodle, whose name was Bob. Okay. And he's sitting next to me in the NEV. And I'm gonna give you, I'll, I'll text you the photograph. Please. So even though I might have talked, I might have spoken about the NEV like, well, I'm not gonna drive it. You'll never see a happier picture of me than of me sitting next to Bob, the reincarnation of my friend Charlie in the front seat of the NEV. That's okay? So. Yeah. But that that's the thing, you know. Uh, I didn't know I was a Hindu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I appreciate that, too, from a standpoint of, you know, just reaching out to, to discover more about the Saving Museum, you in particular. But then it's like, it just seems like you're very invested here. And that is what people will take away from, you know, their experience here. Do you know where you're going to die? I don't know where I'm going to die. I know where I'm dying. I know it's happened. I know I'm dying in Jim Thorpe. That's good. Yeah. Me. So yeah. if that if that counts for anything. <laughs> James, ask me about KISS. So, Victor, was there a time in your life where you were able to provide for an internationally renowned band something that they could utilize to promote their, their music? Are you talking about... The fact that I did a Kiss album cover 43 years ago. I am talking about that. So here's the funny thing about the Kiss album cover. I did the Kiss album cover, and as soon as I did it, I thought to myself, well, that's kind of an accomplishment because that's a huge client. But I did say to myself, should you be doing your own work? And it was like one of these moments where I thought, as great as it is, I should really be doing my own work. But that doesn't matter how I feel. Every day for the last 43 years, somebody has come over to me to remind me that I did a Kiss album cover. I also did nine stamps for the post, for the United States Postal Service. But I'll give you a very small example. I'm walking down the street in San Francisco with a friend of mine that I went to college with three years ago. San Francisco really is a small town because it has neighborhoods. So we run into somebody he knows. He goes, oh, George, this is my friend Victor. He did a Kiss album cover. It's like, you know me for 40 years. Is that it? He goes, that's it. So that could be an ending. I don't know. That, but that, maybe dying in Jim Thorpe is a better ending. I was going to say, yeah. we're going to have to pick him. We're going to have to pick, to pick him. Yeah. Okay. Flip a coin. Right. Victor Staben here at the Staben Museum and Gallery and Cafe Ariel and Jazz Performance Space and so many other things. I thank you for joining us here on Pocono Mountains Podcast. And of course, watch for this segment on Pocono Television Network. And thank you, as always, for all you do for the Jim Thorpe. I have Pocono. one last soundbite. I want to hear it. People come in all the time and they go, is Victor Staben still alive? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if you call this living. <laughs> all right. Good stuff. The Staben Museum Cafe Ariel and Vic's Jazz Loft. 
an experience unlike anything else. Meet the artist, Joan, his wife, and the great people at the museum, cafe, and jazz loft soon when you visit Jim Thorpe. Thanks for listening to Pocono Mountains Podcast. We'll have a new episode each week highlighting lots of the fun things you can experience while you're visiting the Poconos. Subscribe to Pocono Mountains Podcast and leave a review and or comment on whatever platform you listen. In the Pocono Mountains, a new season is just around the corner. And no matter what the season, there's always something exciting happening. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. The four season Pocono Mountains. Visit us at PoconoMountains.com. We're back. Thanks for listening to Pocono Mountains Podcast. I'm Jim Hamill. Now for a Pocono Mountains Podcast Extra. Recently, our Brianna Strunk went live for Final Fridays Live on PTN at the Hotel of Horror in Sailorsburg. Our next Final Fridays Live is October 27th, 2 p.m. on the Storebridge Line. Until then, enjoy this spooky feature on the haunted attraction right here in the Pocono Mountains. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brianna Strunk, and of course, with October and Halloween coming up, we had to show you what is happening in the Pocono Mountains as far as frights and spooky happenings go. So as you can see, this is not your normal nursery, but it is pretty normal here for Hotel of Horror in Sailorsburg, the Pocono Mountains' premier haunted house. We are going to take you through a few of the rooms to give you a taste of what to expect when you come here. But first, we are with co-owner Marlo. Marlo, thank you for having us. First, tell us about the building we're standing in. It's pretty intriguing. Hi, Brianna. Thanks for joining us. We are standing inside the Lake House Hotel in Sailorsburg. It was once a pristine mountain resort that we now hold an absolutely wicked Halloween celebration in. All right, so we're going to get a taste of what people can expect. Should we go to our first room of the day? Would love to. Hello? Hello? That was <laughs> pretty creepy. Is this what we should expect at Hotel of Horror, seeing all these live actors and going through different rooms? Yes, absolutely. We are chock full with some of the most amazing spooky talent in the business. All of our characters are created by the actors themselves. They have terrific backstories and they are full of energy. All right, this is awesome. Let's go check out what else we have in store today. And just how many rooms and actors can somebody experience every night? Oh boy, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of staged rooms here at the Lake House. And at full cast, we are at over 50. They are having conversations of coming here and taking everything we know and flipping it on its head. <laughs> Tell us about this room in particular. This is one of our more detailed rooms. Um, all of the staging is handmade by myself, my husband, and a few members of the staff. Um, we take our time kind of studying the theme of each room and uh, shopping and curating from things like flea markets, um, curiosity shops. 
um, auctions and uh, putting strategically putting the rooms together to really give the guests an authentic experience, something that they won't see anywhere else. We talked about the history of this building itself being a former Pocono resort, but you said there's actually been reports of haunted happenings. Oh yes, there have been many, many reports of haunted activity here at the Lake House, both from our staff, uh, some of our patrons, and even paranormal investigations that have been conducted here. Perhaps to speak to the dead. Be warned, your future is dark wrought with pain and questionable temptations. Take the path ahead with caution and protect your heart and be sure to listen to the crows. They know which way to go. Wow. And there you have it. We went through just a few of the many rooms here at Hotel of Horror in Sailorsburg. Back with co-owner Marlo. This is so awesome. Last weekend was opening weekend, but running through Saturday, November 4th. Give us all the information for people who want to check you out. Yes, that is correct. We're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evenings now through November 4th, including Halloween night, which is Tuesday, October 31st this year. And people can find more information on hotelofhorror.com? Yes. And of course, with Halloween coming up, month of October, people are always looking for something a little different, a little spooky to do. What makes Hotel of Horror so different from anything else out there? The vintage location and the all original characters. And tell us how you got into this, because this is, this is with you and your husband, and of course, all of the different actors and characters, and it's really like one big family, but you put on quite the show. <laughs> yes, it all started with a love for Halloween, and it developed slowly over the years from there. And we are like an incredible family here. We really find having a good time together and getting, getting the ability to use our creativity and show it off, very rewarding. And we should also mention that there's two different attractions under one roof, one ticket price. So tell us about that and what we didn't see today, but there's still so much to come for people who want to come check it out. Yep, when you come here to our haunted house, you get to see Hotel of Horror and Altered Nightmares. Both are walkthrough attractions, live actors, award-winning sound and lighting, um, both here under one roof at the Lake House Hotel. Why don't you say we sit down to dinner? I think we should end with a little dinner. What do you think's on the menu tonight, Marlo? A lot of spooky fun. <laughs> a lot of spooky fun. So check out hotelofhorror.com. Make sure to get your tickets and come on out. Open every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and of course, October 31st, Halloween night as well. We hope you make this part of your Halloween experience in the Pocono Mountains. We hope this got you in the mood for Halloween and October. I'm Brianna Strunk, and for Marlo, thank you so much for having us. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Brianna, and happy Halloween.
the Hotel of Horror and the Staben Museum, two perfect places to explore. Open your minds and enjoy your fall here in the Pocono Mountains. I hope you enjoyed Pocono Mountains podcast. Please remember to subscribe anywhere podcasts are available. Come visit us in the Pocono Mountains. Plan your trip today. Mm-hmm.